Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, joined by Dave Matter from the Columbia Bureau. Now you actually get to see the uh, Columbia yeah. Bureau. Dave's got the perfect book placement there. Oh, yeah, that is Gary Finkel book. Uh, folks should check that out. You got some Cardinals memorabilia, I see. A uh, yeah, callback yeah, to the St. Louis hometown roots. Uh, it's good to see you, man. And uh, and also, yeah. I should mention, I buried the lead, the, uh, the haircut, looking, uh, looking smooth, streamlined. I- I broke down. I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> it's going. It's 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 fading on its own. So I just finished it off. I think no. You wear it well. Good combo with the beard. Not a lot of guys can pull off the uh, the shaved head look. Uh, you, you you do it well. We're so, trying. Um, was that a was that a home job? I'm guessing in the driveway. Oh yeah, there? that's a that was a solo operation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't I don't think half my family even realized it when I came down from the bathroom. <laughs> they didn't notice. I thought sick of each other we are. <laughs> oh man, well. Uh, it looks good. looks good. So, um, man, we got a lot to talk about and a lot of, uh, I guess, probably speculative discussion about kind of college, college sports and where it stands. But, you know, I, I say speculative because no one knows, even the people right. who are going to be making these decisions. But, you know, there's difference between throwing things out there and actually having conversations about what the conversations are taking place that are going to lead to sports coming back at the college level. Some different scenarios in play for college because – of the whole student athlete conversation. You know, what, what is allowed for student athletes that, that won't be allowed for regular students or vice versa? What can you ask of them that you're not asking of regular students? We're gonna get into that discussion here today. We're also gonna talk some Mizzou football and basketball recruiting. But before you can see what recruits can do, you have to have games to be played. Um, you've had a chance to catch up with some folks at Mizzou. Um, I know you've got an interview with, with Jim Sterk on the docket as well. What are you hearing from Mizzou's side of things about what they think about what college football could look like this fall? Um, it seems like the pretty steady drumbeat out of Mizzou has been, hey, we're going to have kids on campus in the fall. We're going to plan on having the college football season as normal. And that's the path they're taking forward right now. Yeah, and the university, Moon Choi, the, the system president, interim chancellor, made a pretty interesting uh, announcement just the other day uh, saying that they're going to phase in faculty, staff, university leadership, and certain graduate students back to campus here very soon. Um, they'll, they'll have testing. They'll have all of the protocols that you have to have for social distancing. Um, and, and then after that, they're going to continue to phase in more employees and, and more students. So campus is gradually reopening. Uh, that is at least the plan, you know, as of this week. And I think you can see then you know, the opportunity for student athletes to, to be, have an avenue for them to come back to. Now, they can't be on campus. They can't be part of the facilities through May 31st. And that's an SEC rule. And that's pretty standard around the country right now. But Missouri is looking right now, Missouri Athletics, at June 1st as the, as the earliest they could have athletes back. And I think that's the hope. Now, you'd have to have testing in place, a, a lot of monitoring, obviously, uh, it's not going to be the same as any summer in the past as far as having football players on campus and, and the other fall sports too, but the conversation is going to focus on football. Um, that's the hope. We'll see. I mean, I, you know, the, the big question here is who ultimately is the decision maker here? This isn't like Major League Baseball where there's a commissioner and where there's a players union and where there's owners. There's, there's nobody that really governs college sports, you can say the NCAA, but they really don't have a say in this. It, it's going to come down to the conference commissioners and they're going to be basing decisions off of what they're hearing from their governors and from, you know, the, the 
health department leaders, health officials in their states. So it's it's still a bit of a mess. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty. You, you could have the potential for certain conferences to be on schedule or at least close to being on schedule and other conferences in different parts of the country being farther behind because of what their states are doing, specifically over in the West Coast. So I don't think we're closer to an answer yet, but I think if we're going to have football, you know, they need to decide something here by end of June, early July, because you got to get these athletes back on campus preparing for the season, obviously. Uh, and, and Missouri is, they know that they're not the ones making the call here. Jim Sturk is not making the decision. Uh, it's going to be a combination of people higher than him. Um, they're hopeful there's football. I mean, they, they need it from a financial stake, just like every other power conference, you know, non-power conference school. Um, but hoping is, is not a strategy here. You mentioned the NCAA and I want to clear that up because it's confusing, right? I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're a fan, you go, Hey, the NCAA can tell this star player, he's not eligible. They can strip you of a title, but what do you mean? They don't have a say in if college football stars. Now explain that because Mark Emmert has said the NCAA president has all he said pretty much, but he said it time and time again. And it's like, Hey, it's going to be hard to have a college football season. Um, to justify having a college football season if kids are not on campus. Now, what does that mean? Well, you can take it a million different ways. Are kids on campus if 55% of them are online learning and, you know, there's no lecture hall bigger than 25 people and there's, there are class meetings, but they're all limited to, you know, 10 to 15 people at universities, which usually have those classes be, you know, 200 plus. I mean, you can you can cut that thing a lot of different a lot of different ways, but he's taken a pretty good stance on that, at least for the time being. But also, what he says doesn't necessarily dictate what happens in in Tuscaloosa or or you know or Lexington. I mean, these conferences are going to do what they want to do within their own conference. How can they do that with with within the umbrella of the NCAA? Right, the NCAA in this case, and, and Mark Emmer, the president, he really doesn't have power to say there will be a season or there won't be a season. It's going to come down to the, to the conferences. I mean, the NCAA, they help with the bowl process. They throw on a big basketball tournament every year. They help, you know, have your national softball tournaments, your regional tournaments, things like that. But they don't necessarily dictate hey, when the season starts or when you play or if you can play. So I, I think when he, when Mark Ember made that comment the other night that he can't envision games being played if students aren't back on campus. And you can kind of feel the collective eye roll around the country from from commissioners and ADs who are busy trying to make something work on their campus where that is possible. Uh, I don't think it's a black and white cut and dried issue where you have to have every student on campus taking in-person classes in order to have uh, or have athletes back. Now you can make there's an argument there to say, hey, that's what are we doing here? What, why are we treating these athletes as employees? If we're requiring them to be back, um, that's a whole other discussion here about player unions and things like that, that haven't quite worked out uh, for the players and maybe they should, but in today's environment on campuses, there's so many classes are already online. I mean, the argument that comes up a lot is Joe Burrow who won the Heisman trophy last year, never stepped foot on LSU's campus for school because he took everything online. So it is possible. I think you're going to see kind of a hybrid mix on a lot of campuses between online classes and in-person classes. Probably won't see many huge lecture halls with 200 students in there, just under, you know, what we know right now about 
social distancing and, and how important that is. Um, but I, I don't think it's, you know, so cut and dried. And I don't think there's going to be one set policy that every conference, every school and every conference is going to have to abide by a certain rule. I mean, we've already seen this, the state college system in California has already mm -hmm. said, hey, we're not going to have in-person classes. It's going to be online only. Well, Georgia and Florida and states in the southeast, and we can throw Missouri in there, you know, they're their government leaders, um, health officials are, are not being as conservative there on opening up society and opening up college campuses necessarily what they're saying right now. Um, so I, I don't think there's going to be one set policy, one set rule in the NCAA here. I'm not going to say they're powerless, but they don't really have the authority to say, here's when the season will start or here's where it won't start. They don't have the keys to the ultimate prize either. They are not the dictators over the championship. So, you know, if they were to say, hey, we're not going to help hold the championship like they, like they could do potentially with college basketball, right. then, then that would raise the question of, well, what's the value of the season? What are, you, what are these, these, some of these teams playing for? But because they can't stop that, then they really can't stop, right. can't stop anything. Dan Wetzel has wrote about this, and, and I think it's a, a really smart prediction. But if it comes down to it, I think we could very well see the SEC being one of, if not the only conference that tries to move forward. Now, I think every Power Five conference will try. I imagine the ones with schools in California will have a harder time. Um, you know, I think the Pac-12 could be could be the, the team, the conference not to bet on there. But uh, I think the SEC would be f perfectly comfortable trying to say, hey, we're going to try to do this um, unless it's, unless somebody stops us or unless we find out we can't. Um, that's been my impression from the comments from everyone from 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 uh, Sankey to to the individual coaches to the presidents is they're going to do this until they're either told they can't by someone who can tell them they can't that's not Mark Emmer or they're they find out firsthand that it's just not going to work. Yeah and I, you know we don't need to get into politics here but it's kind of hard to avoid them and these decisions that we're seeing made across the states a lot of the, the direction that states are, are leaning or are depend on the, the party affiliation of their governor. And you look in the SEC, I think other than, other than Kentucky and Louisiana, you've got Republican governors in, in all the states. I, I think that's right. Um, and, and they are tending to uh, be, have their states more opened up or they're more, they're more open to opening their states uh, like we've seen in, in Florida and in Georgia. Um, Texas too. So um, yeah, I, I think that's, it, it could come down to decisions like that. You also, you got to factor in the weather too, to some degree. I mean, I, you know, the SEC, you can, you can play. Uh, if, if we're talking about this other model is playing games in February, March, that's a lot more conceivable in Florida and South Carolina and Georgia than it is Michigan and Minnesota and even Missouri. I mean, Missouri, Missouri has trouble attracting 10,000 fans to a February basketball game indoors. What are they going to do for a Saturday afternoon football game in February? Uh, are, are you going to be able to attract, I mean, you probably can't have a sold out crowd anyway because of social distancing, but you know, there, there's gotta be concerns there too. So there's still so much to, to learn about this virus and to see where the trends go um, before I think any cut and dry decisions can be made, but we are getting close to the time where if this season is going to start on time, or close to it, some deadlines have to be met as far as just when can things start.
You mentioned fans. What, what do you make of, of this notion that there could be college football games without fans for TV purposes only? I mean, we're, we're watching this discussion with baseball play out, and you've got, you know, the, the baseball owners are saying, look, we're going to lose 40% of, of our revenue. According to them, they're not going to make those books public, I don't think, but they, they're expecting a 40% revenue loss if they can't have people in the stadium buying tickets and, and buying hot dogs and beer. I would imagine for college football, Maybe not, maybe not the, the elite programs, but for, for a lot of college football programs, that is a higher number, you know, for, yeah, for teams yeah. that aren't involved in mega TV contracts or the conference isn't. You know, for a Mountain West school, I would imagine that what, what the money they get by people showing up to games is significantly more, uh, a bigger piece of that puzzle. Do you think it's economically feasible for, for college football to play without fans? And do you think there could be a cutoff point between the ones that it is economically feasible for versus the ones it's not? Yeah, I, I think college football, college sports in general, but especially football are much more reliant on the, the ticket revenue and parking and concessions and buying sweatshirts and t-shirts at the game more than, more than say the NFL, which is really tied into its TV contract. Maybe the NFL or the NBA could survive and, and, and uh, have a, get through half a season or a season with without fans or fewer fans than, than college football. I mean, you look at just Missouri's balance sheet when they operate at a budget deficit, like they had the last three years, it's always tied to football ticket sales more than anything else. When they are under what they have been in the past, that's when, you know, they are at a deficit uh, th that, that TV money continues to go up and up every year, or at least stay stable that's not making the difference in their bottom line. It is, it's attendance. And then everything that comes along with attendance and selling season tickets is all the ancillary, you know, streams of revenue there. So yeah, I, I think it'll hurt uh, college football more. I don't know if teams can really survive. They'd have to make massive cuts in their athletics department. If, if they can't have fans at football games, even if they can't have just some fans, I mean, we're talking just, if they have 10 to 15,000 at a game, you're still going to see that uh, hurt your, hurt your spending other other places in your department when you're used to having, you know, 60 to 70 or even just 50. So, um, yeah, I think, I think college football will um, be impacted by that more than, more than the other sports right now. And the trickle down is going to be incredible, potentially yeah. um, not in a good way because college football is the driver for college sports. I mean, it's the engine. So you can see why that urgency is there for these presidents and these ADs to try to say, we'll find a way, even if it means pushing things back and drastically changing the schedule and you know, making the best out of a bad situation. Because if you don't, and if you just punt on a football season, you know, college sports will look a lot different by the time it, yeah. it comes back, if that's the case. So um, continue to, uh, to track that, and we'll continue to talk about it as it develops and there's more to discuss and, and as Missouri kind of tries to piece together its plan um, but we should hit a little bit on recruiting Dave uh, there's been an explosion of commitments across the college football landscape probably in some ways tied to this this pandemic guys wanted to be able to have their spot secured um, now is not a good time to have a, a lot of unknown so some guys are trying to get um, you know get some plans in place perhaps earlier than they would have, and, and we've seen Missouri benefit from that. Eli Drinkwitz has done a good job hitting the ground running in recruiting. He's done a good job in the St. Louis area. Um, he's been a, 
a part of this wave of, of giving guys a, a reason to say, hey, I don't need to look around. I can go to Mizzou and, and have my spot secured here. There is probably going to be another battle to this, and it will be you know, holding on to those commitments uh, if right. college football gets, quote, unquote, back to normal by the time uh, guys have to sign. There might be some re-recruitment going on. But what, what have you made of, of what Drinkwitz has done lately here and, uh, and of kind of the, the, I guess, the battle that could be ahead of him as he tries to keep these guys in the boat? Yeah, it's been, it's been really positive so far on his end. Um, you know, they, Missouri has, as, as we record this, they have nine verbal commitments, nine known commitments for 2021. The average in the SEC is about eight and a half. So they're better than average. I think they're fourth in the league in commitments. Tennessee is the outlier. They have 21. I mean, I, Jeremy Pruitt's doing something right down there. He's doing something, period. But they're just the, – The recruits haven't realized there actually has to be a spot on the roster for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that throws off that average a little bit. So Missouri is doing really well numbers-wise. Now, they, it's, it's eight of them are three-star recruits, and that's kind of the caliber of player that they were signing under Barry Odom. Um, so this is not rankings wise. Once it all shakes out, the rankings don't mean anything right now because I think Alabama sitting there with like four commitments. They obviously will have close to 25 and they'll have a bunch of four and five stars. So that will all shake out. Um, so I don't know if the quality is, is there a huge upgrade. They did get the four star out of St. Louis, Travion Ford, defensive end pass rusher from Lutheran North, um, highest rated, you know, recruit they've, they've gotten, obviously. Um, and they're still, you know, on, close to or in the process of reeling in some other really high caliber local guys. But the, the trend is that how many commitments they have, and it, it reflects the national trend. And I think it's for two, two major reasons. One, these kids can't travel. You know, they can't go and do visits all around the country right now. And so in-state kids, they know Mizzou. Missouri did a really good job of getting them on campus and getting to know the new coaches before the pandemic hit. So they're capitalizing on, on those relationships they've built. And, and two, these coaches have a lot more time on their hands to recruit right now. They can be on the phone. They can um, be texting, be doing the things that are allowed. They're not running practices. They're, they're not uh, with their own guys on campus. Uh, the, the free time has really allowed them to focus on their big targets. I was talking to, you know, Casey Woods, Missouri's recruiting coordinator, earlier this week, and he's like, I have so much more time to really focus on the guys we want and build relationships however you can through FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. They're even moving on and, and, and really getting a head start on 2022 under the rules and what they're allowed to do. So uh, that's the combination of things. Um, they're, basically what you're seeing, the numbers are what they would be like in August for most schools uh, after the camp circuit and after you get more kids on your campus. So everything's just kind of accelerated. But like you brought up, the flip side to all of this could be if travel reopens in the fall or late summer, are you going to see a wave of decommitments, not just at Missouri, but everywhere. And that's, that's possible. Coaches have to be braced for that. At the same time, the earlier signing date helps schools because now you can lock those kids in, in December instead of waiting till February. And if they're going to be playing football in the fall, the high school level, these kids, their time is going to be consumed with their own teams so that they can't all of a sudden just scrap their plans and start visiting places all around the country. So time is going to probably help the schools that already have the commitments, but we'll, we'll see that we always do. Um, but I think Missouri's in, in good shape with these kids. They're really trying to build relationships within the class. Uh, you see a lot of that on social media already. They've got a couple guys in this class that have done a good job. I think of bringing them all together. Uh, 
Rob Steeple is the coach at DeSmet. He calls Makai Wingo, who is who is his uh, nephew um, or his cousin. Um, he's called him the best recruiter in the state of Missouri because he committed to Missouri's <laughs> class first. And, you know, he is uh, – they call him Little Stephen as a Stephen A. Smith because he talks a lot. <laughs> and he is a character. And he's doing his best to bring in uh, – these other kids to, to get on board and go to Mizzou too. So that always helps when you have uh, a kind of a colorful personality, an outgoing kid uh, who's going to want to bring his friends with him basically. So that it's, it's all positive so far for Drinkwitz here in the state, especially in St. Louis. It's given them a chance to use like hustle and creativity in ways that can give them edges on maybe programs that are a little more locked in their process um, I'll give Drinkwitz credit and his staff, and a lot of this goes probably to, to, to Casey Woods, but the just the the willingness to adapt and try new things. I mean, you had a great story about the grad transfer center they picked up, who is that's a pretty big addition for this team, yeah. And and how they were able to really help him feel like he was on campus without ever coming, um, using basically a, a virtual tour of the facilities of the field. I mean, things like that, you have to be willing to to wow a kid without seeing him in person. And when you can't walk yeah. in and, you know, you can't have him walk into Nick Saban's office and roll out the, the championship rings, you got to find a way to, to make a kid feel like this is a cool this is a cool place. And it seems like they're really on the cutting edge. I asked Drinkwitz, I talked to him last week, and I said, when did you kind of dive into the social media world? Because he seems so willing to embrace it and We've seen coaches go different ways on that. Right. And he, he, it's not right. like he's, he's, you know, was an early adopter of Twitter or just loves technology. He said, look, I was at Arkansas State, and it dawned on me that if I'm not doing this, I'm, lo- I'm, I'm behind. I'm behind somebody. And he goes, and if I'm going to do it, I'm not going to half-ass it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be the best at it, which is kind of, you know, what we've seen from, from his mentality. So, look, there's no games to judge the guy on right now, but he's, he's done some things, and this is one of them, the social media kind of buzz where a lot of kids pay attention through the recruiting where I think he's given Mizzou fans a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Yeah, and it's Dave Steppel, I'm going to quote him, former Missouri defensive coordinator. He used to say all the time, recruiting is like shaving. you got to do it every day to, be, to, to look, look your best. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not following that, but um, I, I do think once – you know you have to recruit all the time. Social media just has to become part of the deal. It's like breathing. I mean, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't ignore it. It just has to be part of the process for you all the time in today's culture. And for, for Drinkwitz and his staff, especially the younger guys on his staff, um, it's just second nature to them. That's, that's how you operate when you wake up in the morning, you check your Twitter, and when it's time to pass something along that can help you uh, or your brand, you tweet. So – I do think it's, it's uh, been to their advantage here. Um, and, and they have, they do realize they have to be on the cutting edge for some things. And I think they've got some real forward thinking people in the building, in the recruiting department and on the staff and, and the head coach, especially. Uh, so that, that's, that's all positives for them. And I think they're, they're making the most of a, of a bad situation and, and trying to capitalize on, it, which is what everybody talks about an even playing field. Well, it's not even if you can, work it in your favor and that's what they're trying to do on the on the basketball side of things some more recruiting news uh, tell us about Mr. Brookshire the um, the guard that the Tigers have um, gotten a commitment from out of the Springfield area kind of a, a rare in-state commitment for for the team yeah Anton Brookshire he is six foot six two he's been a 
a, a scoring point guard at Springfield Kickapoo. Um, kind of an interesting story. He grew up in Milwaukee uh, with his mom. Her, uh, her older brother uh, is a former basketball player and coach, and he moved down to the Springfield Nixa area and has this basketball academy and has an AAU program. Um, and Anton, his mom was, was ill. She had lupus. She actually just died a few weeks ago. Um, so, but, but Anton moved in the sixth grade, moved down to Missouri to live with his uncle. And his uncle kind of groomed him through his academy and be, became a really good high school basketball player. Um, and Kickapoo was set to play CBC in the semifinals of the state tournament. It had been Brookshire against Caleb Love, a really great matchup before the pandemic hit and canceled the Misha tournament. Uh, but he is a, he's a 20 point a game scorer. Um, he is, he's not the biggest guy, but he is a, a high scoring uh, dynamic point guard again more of a score in, at the at the high school level and uh he had i think missouri's kind of got in on him at, kind of on the ground floor he didn't have he doesn't have this illustrious list of college offers but i think if he would have played this out a little bit more and maybe played you know once a senior season got going he, he might have gotten more may still get more and i think it's it's important one to get a guard because that you know you look at this senior class that missouri's going to have you got drew smith mark smith Drew Bugs, the grad transfer from Hawaii, they're all seniors. Xavier Pinson, should he come back for his junior season, um, would be great for Missouri. Is, would he come back for a senior season? Well, if he has a great junior year, then he's going to be able to test the NBA draft waters again this time next year. So there's no guarantee you're going to have uh, – the guarantee is you're going to need guards. So this is important to pick up. And, and good to get a guy in state. We know that Conzo is kind of struck out here in the St. Louis area with some of the more high-profile players. Um, and then, you know, McKinney didn't work out uh, from Bashan. So there's some real pluses to this, um, but they, they really this, – this is a pivotal, pivotal recruiting cycle for this staff for sure, and to get a guy early is, is nothing but positive. The plus side argument for what Mizzou could have next season would be if all these guys return, then they're going to bring back basically everyone who played a key role last yeah. season and, and with hopes that everybody gets better. You could see how that team could take steps forward, but – in order for that to happen, everybody has to come back. We, we've seen the the draft, I guess, pullout date be extended because of the pandemic once more. Um, I've written it. We've talked about it. I don't see any reason why any of these guys should actually not come back to Mizzou. Um, you know, what do you think that – are you reading the tea leaves on, on what these guys are, are going to do? Do you have any info on what to expect here? Because so far, all of them, um, you've got Tillman, Pinson, and Mitchell Smith that are all uh, – have their continue to have their names in as if it, things ended today, they would be gone from Mizzou. Right. You know, these guys, I think a positive is they've been in Columbia, not necessarily the whole time. They can't use the facilities, but they're training. You just watch social media and they're, they're working out with their teammates. Don't know how much they're practicing social distancing, but when you watch some of the videos, but um, <laughs> they are working out in Columbia a lot. Um, I think the mock drafts for the NBA are better than they've ever been. They're so thorough by a lot of these people that just study this year round. You've got the international guys, you've got all the underclassmen. There's nobody that's projecting these guys to be drafted. I mean, they're not in the mock drafts and not to say that those things are, are hundred percent accurate all the time, but um, you know, I don't, the, the thought is these guys aren't going to be drafted this year. That doesn't mean they can't make money elsewhere. Um, but, and you wrote a really good column 
week or two ago about why these local players from both Mizzou and SLU would be in their best interest to come back. And it's, it's not necessarily just because, Hey, you want to root for them in the, in the, the old alma mater on the college court, which, which everybody locally likes to see the, the circumstances are just so uncertain that they could all benefit from, you know, another year where, and, and go through this. And for like a guy like Pinson, who's a, who, who has two years of eligibility left, save this decision for a year from now when hopefully everything, the structure of everything is better, where you can actually work out for an NBA scouts and NBA GMs and go to the combine. You know, there's, there's no combine now. So, you know, the process is, is unlike it's ever been before and you can get much better exposure if you play this next year and, and then go through this again next summer. And I think that's, that's the, the, conventional wisdom for guys like this. Now, if we're talking about potential lottery picks, no, I mean, take your chances and, and go make a million bucks or more, depending on where you're drafted. But for these guys, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world to come back next year uh, and, and play another year of college basketball. If you're a first round pick locked, I say go every time, don't risk yeah. it. And I've said that about guys before. So it's not just me wanting to see good, the college yeah. teams be better, although selfishly, I like that, but Every one of these guys, and I mean, you can even open this up to SLU, every one of these guys has something they absolutely need to improve on in order to be able to hang in the NBA. For the guards like Goodwin and, you know, you can go to Io DeSumo at Illinois and, and Benson, they need, to sh- they need to shoot the three better. Guards have to be able to shoot the three in the NBA. I mean, you've got, um, you know, Kofi Cockburn at, at Illinois. He's a traditional big. He's got to be able to show he can have a little more range. I mean, Mitchell right. Smith is not going to get drafted right now. Tillman can't stay on the floor. I mean, every one of these guys has something that they could improve with another year in college basketball. So for their sake, I hope they take a chance to do that and then have a little more traditional process next year. Um, some of them, I mean, Pinson could have two more years. Imagine what the kind of player he could be in that time, get a little stronger, have a better shot. I mean, he could be a very appealing pick at that point. So I guess it just depends on how, where they want to develop. And if they feel like they will be given enough time to develop in the league, uh, not a very kind place for guys who aren't drafted in the first round. Um, a little more kind than it used to be, but still yeah. not not very kind, especially if you're late in the second round. So hopefully yeah, they're getting advice from the right folks, or maybe they'll, they'll prove us wrong. We will uh, we'll see. We hit on when college sports could be coming back, hopefully. Um, we talked some recruiting, and we'll probably stop there and, and leave the rest for next time. Dave, uh, good stuff, man. Uh, stay sane. Um, I'm surprised we didn't have an interruption from the kiddos there, but uh, tell them good job and uh, tell them next time they can feel free to come on in. They must have uh, turned on the Nintendo switch or something because uh, it's, it's eerily quiet in the house. (laughs) You better go check that out. Who knows? (laughs) Too quiet, right? You better go, uh, you better go to the bottom of it. Hey, good stuff. Uh, We will, uh, we'll check in with you here soon and remind folks that they can find this podcast and all of our other podcasts at stltoday.com slash podcast. Even easier, go to uh, iTunes, whatever you use for your podcast, downloading services, and punch in Eye on the Tigers podcast. You'll find us there. And maybe you'll even see a little video of this on the uh, Post-Dispatch website as we try to uh, incorporate some of our Zoom talks. So um, good thing you uh, got the hair taken care of, Dave, and uh, we, look, we look decent enough, okay, today. Good job. Um, you got a collar on your shirt, so you're... you're no, it's like a... It's a huge development. Yes. <laughs> I, I put on jeans for the first time like, yesterday. It was bizarre. 
uh, I forgot how to like the, do the zipper. It was strange, not <laughs> sweatpants. But uh, we'll uh, we'll keep looking nice for the videos, and uh, we'll keep people up to date on what's happening in Columbia. Dave, good job. We'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good.